0: Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits.
1: Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics, from personal stories to hot-button issues. We cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday. So make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.
2: Rome presents Beatrix Green. Episode 5. Come, everyone, Stan Hope yelled. By the sound of it, he was sprinting. Hurry! you will not believe what I have found. Beatrix's hands shook as she tried to repin the tendrils that had escaped her coiffure again. She smoothed down her skirt and delicately pulled and straightened her sleeves. James cupping her face. James threading his fingers through her hair. James pressing against her. She squeezed her eyes shut to block out what just happened and lifted the candelabra James had forgotten in his rush to depart from her. Beatrix forced herself to walk calmly out of the now dark sunroom. A quick glance over her shoulder though made her gasp. A thick, swirling maw of darkness was filling the room, devouring the warm and cheery scene and turning it to dust. She picked up her pace It could just be her eyes playing tricks on her, but Beatrix could not shake the sensation of something malicious slithering behind her. She breathed a sigh of relief when she entered the well-lit hall. Stanhope was there, gesticulating dramatically to James. Beatrix raised her chin, determined to appear calm and aloof when she next saw James. She would not let him see how much his rejection had injured her pride. Perhaps he found her too coarse, too forward. She was a working girl of the middle classes, after all. She was not a lady, the type of woman he likely preferred. Yet how he had responded to her told a different story, a story she wouldn't allow herself to dwell upon. Stanhope turned from James and waved his arms in a signal for all to hurry to him. Beatrix entered the Grand Hall, Just as Harry and Amanda rushed in from the opposite direction, she noticed they were leaning quite close to each other. As Beatrix joined the group, James moved to put Stanhope between them, deliberately avoiding her gaze. Her resolve hardened. She would conduct the séance and then be free of this place, free of him and the feelings he awoke in her. Haz came closer and whispered, "'Everything all right, love?' Like all good actors, he was quick to pick up on the emotions in a room. Beatrix gave him a half shrug, half shake of the head. When she turned from Harry, she caught James watching her, though he quickly looked away. Well, Stanhope, we're all here now. Speak, James demanded. It was clear he'd been asking for details, but Stanhope apparently had refused until he had an audience. What did you discover? And is it more personal than this? Amanda asked, holding up a dove gray lambskin glove. I found a lady's glove in the sewing room with the initials S.H.A. Are those your mother's, James? He nodded stiffly. Yes, yes, that's all well and good, Stanhope said rudely, waving her away. But I have found a place, the perfect spot for our next seance. You will soon see and feel what I mean. Bring the glove and anything else that you have found, and follow me. All will be made clear shortly."
3: Stanhope led the group. His pompous stride irritated James. It was as if his family's traumas were nothing more than an entertaining parlour game to him. He bit his lip to keep from chastising his old friend. Now was not the time. James became exquisitely conscious of Beatrix's every move behind him, the rhythm of her steps in tune with his breaths. He shouldn't have lost control of himself or given in so completely to his desires for her. And then leaving with hardly a word, what must she think of him? The flash of hurt in her eyes when he pushed her away left him both embarrassed and ashamed. As they moved deeper into the oldest part of the house, The walls changed from fading floral wallpaper to panelled wood and eventually to exposed herringbone brick. In one long corridor, high diamond-paned leaded windows reflected the lights from their candles, giving the impression that a group of glowing-eyed ghouls tracked them from the rafters. How is it that you are so very familiar with my house? James asked Stanhope as he turned another corner. Just retracing my steps, old friend. It seemed a flimsy explanation for the confident, purposeful way he moved through the corridors of James's home. "'Glad to finally be gracing these halls, since I apparently didn't merit an invitation to stay at the mysterious manse during our youth.' He continued, his light tone barely masking the resentment he clearly still carried. "'So I am satisfying my curiosity now.' James had explained time and again, that he had never invited him to visit because he himself never wished to return. Even knowing his family's histories, Stanhope still found his excuses both hurtful and rude. The prurient fascination with his ancient house and his mother was precisely why James had created a new identity as Dr. Walker. But Stanhope's father was even more surprising and off-putting given their connection and long acquaintance. But why were you so curious in the first place? james insisted why are there people in front of your gate selling death trinkets ashbury i would think the fascination would be obvious but it wasn't obvious it was his life his tragedies that had been cheapened for people's entertainment with figurines of what they called the murderous madwoman or little wooden replicas of a bloody hunting knife to have his own mother reduced to a horror story when she had been so much more before she went mad once he was free of this house and its dark legacy once he could begin anew in america james reminded himself he would firmly put all of this behind him he distanced himself from stanhope deliberately falling back a pace but still keeping ahead of beatrix He couldn't bring himself to be so close to her and yet unable to touch her. Still, he chastised himself for his rudeness. He could hear Harry and Mrs. Reynolds whispering together behind Beatrix, which meant she walked alone. When they turned into the dark hallway near the oldest kitchens, the temperature suddenly dropped. He heard the click of Beatrix's heels slow and the murmurs of the others as they also slowed and stopped. Stanhope continued on, however, as if he had noticed nothing amiss. He turned into a room where the crumbling plaster revealed an ancient stone wall. Wrong direction, James called to Stanhope, pointing to the stairwell across the hall. The stairs for the basement are there. But Stanhope ignored him and marched confidently in the other direction. He stopped in front of a warped door banded in rusting iron. James had never seen it before. Stanhope turned to face the group, gesturing grandly to the ancient door. By the look of the tracks in the dust on the stone floor, it had been hidden behind a dilapidated kitchen wardrobe that Stanhope must have pushed out of the way. James felt a shiver of unease. This leads to the original foundation, Stanhope said. It feels like a place of great power. Do you not sense it? James could feel it. An overwhelming sense of foreboding seeped from the crack beneath the door. He resisted the urge to step away from it. James shook his head. There is no reason to go down there if we can conduct the seance upstairs in the parlour. This is a waste of our precious time. There are certain places known to contain more spiritual power than others, as our medium no doubt well knows, Stanhope said, bowing in Beatrix's direction. She looked pale and discomfited. Behind her, Harry and Mrs. Reynolds huddled close together, also clearly ill at ease. And so, he continued, we will be in a better position to commune with Lady Ashbury's ghost if we perform the séance here. There was a strange, almost feverish glint in Stanhope's eyes that made his smile a bit too wide, his excitement a bit too overwrought. James caught Beatrix's gaze for the first time since their encounter in his mother's sitting room. Despite everything, he trusted her instincts and if she indicated Stanhope was right, then he'd continue. She held his gaze with her hazel eyes, raised her chin, nodded and said, Let us continue.
2: Beatrix had never before felt such opposing forces warring inside her at once. One part of her wanted to back away from the doorway and run far, far away, while another wanted to sink into the strange power or energy that pulsed from below. Anyone with the slightest interest in spiritualism would have heard stories about places of power. She had never believed in them before but there was no denying they were in the presence of one now. The door seemed to stretch toward her, reaching for her. She felt a sense of yearning, as though something inside her was reaching back toward the door, toward a power that called to her like a siren song. She took a steadying breath, warning herself to be on her guard. Stanhope pushed open the warped door and began to descend. Haz extended an arm to Amanda, both looked uneasy, though Harry seemed to be relishing the American's company. Beatrix wondered if she needed to remind Haz that Mrs. Reynolds was married. I'll hold the light for you on the stairs, James murmured, moving towards Beatrix and reaching for the candelabra. A flash of indignation made her fingers tighten on the metal. Now he wanted to act the gentleman? With his hand still reaching out, James cleared his throat and said, I insist. Although part of her wanted to continue resisting, his height would be useful in lighting the way over what would likely be ancient, crumbling stairs. Fine. As you wish, she replied, ignoring the way her skin tingled when their fingers brushed over the candelabra. He would get nothing but icy politeness from her. James put a hand to her back to guide her without actually touching her once again. And she felt the heat of his hand burn through her layers of fabric to her skin. Together, they stepped onto the stairs. As soon as Harry and Amanda crossed the threshold, the door slammed violently behind them. A stale gust extinguished the flames on Harry's candles. Both he and Amanda gave a small cry of alarm. "'Perhaps we should return upstairs,' Harry said, exchanging a worried glance with Amanda and then Beatrix. "'Something doesn't feel right,' Amanda agreed. "Has I will not take offense if you and Mrs. Reynolds wish to go back,' Beatrix said. She wanted him close, but she would never force him into a dangerous situation. "'No, B. I'm your chaperone, remember?' He gave a short laugh. "'We must keep moving.' hissed Stanhope. They descended slowly as the old stairway creaked and groaned beneath them. Strange, skittering sounds filtered up from below, making her think of rats and scorpions. The carved scorpion on James's father's ring flashed through her mind. Eventually, the wooden stairway dropped them into a landing that looked half-finished. Old bricks and chipped rocks littered the stone floor. The air grew thicker heavier and the musty scent changed became more metallic ranker rotten both harry and amanda coughed what is that horrible stench amanda asked harry gave amanda a handkerchief to hold to her nose it smells like the butcher stalls on an airless summer day he murmured something caught the corner of beatrix's eye and the hair on her neck prickled she signaled to james bring the light closer to the wall she said and just as he did beatrix screamed then the flame went out
0: here's a quick question for you how did you sleep last night if your battle for a good night's sleep feels relentless i have the answer it's a podcast called sleep wave with meditations and hypnosis created to help you fall asleep my relaxation techniques will help you feel calm and ready for sleep with soft music that will help you fall asleep in minutes. Most listeners never hear the end of an episode. So search Sleepwave on your favorite podcast app and find out why over a million people have fallen asleep to my voice.
3: Hi, I'm Alexis Ohanian. You may know me as one of the co founders of Reddit, but more recently, James put a hand out to protect Beatrix, his heart beat in his ears as he tried to make sense of what they had seen. Bones. Human bones jutting out of the brickwork. A man's hand, fingers reaching out, grasping for them. A half-skull silently screaming. James remembered the old stories about how the foundations of this house had been built with the bones of the ancient dead. So it hadn't just been a tale to frighten children. What have you found? Sanhope asked excitedly as he jogged back to them. But when he put the last remaining candelabra up to the wall, there was nothing there but crumbling brick and mortar, not a bone in sight. There were pieces of a skeleton, James said, jutting out of the brick. Yes, I saw them as well, Beatrix murmured. An uneasy silence hung in the air the candlelight from Stanhope's single remaining candle flickering on each of their frightened faces. You saw bones in the walls, Amanda asked, but there is nothing there. James swallowed hard, trying to understand. It was as if his childhood nightmares were coming to life before their eyes. His chest squeezed as he remembered how often he had tried to soothe Thomas after overhearing tales of skeletons moving in the walls of the house. Come, come, Stanhope prodded. We must continue on, one more floor to go. James and Beatrix exchanged a glance and walked on. He was relieved when they finally reached the last landing. It led them to a weeping dark cave made of stone. He and Stanhope both stooped slightly so as to not hit their heads. A throat-closing stench of decay and of damp decomposition enveloped them. Water dripped and echoed. Where are we? Amanda asked. Inside the deepest and oldest part of the house. Stanhope said, again James wondered at how he seemed to know more about the house than he did. Looking around, Beatrix shivered. It feels like death itself. James wondered if she had meant to speak the words aloud. Either way, he couldn't have agreed more. James stopped cold in front of a large stone in the center of the room. His throat constricted as he realized the ill-fitting boulder covered a deep pit. Shock reverberated through him. It can't be true. He'd had nightmares about that pit as a child. The servants whispered about the bodies buried beneath it about the strange sounds that could be heard emanating from the hole in the ground. An especially cruel maths tutor had sworn that at night he could hear the scratching of skeletal hands as, ''The dead endeavoured to emerge from the pit and wreak vengeance on your family.'' When he was especially slow to provide the correct answer, the old man had threatened to throw him down into the bone pit himself. ''What is this?'' Mrs. Reynolds asked. She and Beatrix had come to stand beside him. This is the pit, James said. I always thought it was just another piece of family lore. There were tales of a dungeon in the base of the manor, where the slightest insult to the family's honor landed one in the pit. Rumor had it that over the centuries the bodies and bones piled so high they scraped the underside of this rock. Beatrix and Amanda stared at the stone, horror etched on their faces. James felt the creeping sense of horror, too. If the source of power that Stanhope sensed was coming from the angry dead, from forgotten souls unjustly killed, perhaps they shouldn't try to tap into it. James again tried to capture Beatrix's gaze, but she would not look at him. Instead, her expression of fear turned to fascination, as she reached out toward the pit stone like someone testing the warmth of a fire. This is the spot, Stanhope announced, placing the candelabra on top of the rock. When Beatrix nodded, James held his tongue. Stanhope drew a circle around the stone on the dirt floor with the heel of his boot. And if all my reading is correct, using an object of James's mother will make it easier for Lady Ashbury to tell us what she wants Perhaps it is she who wants to run. And it's my guess that we're locked in here until we let her out. James suppressed a shudder. Old feelings of being trapped and hunted threatened to overwhelm him. As he often found himself doing, he looked at Beatrix to steady himself. She was looking suspiciously at Stanhope. How do you know so much about seances? She asked, watching him with narrowed eyes. She didn't trust him, James realized. Seances are quite the fashion in our circles, you know, Stanhope said. I have attended and participated in many. He turned to Beatrix. And although your, um, services have been short of actual occult experience, I am sure you can manage a ceremony steeped in tradition. He gave a short laugh. Beatrix crossed her arms and scowled at Stanhope. "'And as you did successfully make contact earlier,' continued Stanhope, "'it may be that Lady Ashbury has an affinity toward you, "'so please, do lead us in this most important ceremony.'"
2: Beatrix shrugged off the disdain in Stanhope's words and cleared her throat. Everyone stared at her expectantly. Mrs. Reynolds, please hand me James's mother's glove, she instructed. Beatrix placed the glove in the center of the stone, beside their last candle. Everyone hold hands, she instructed and took a deep breath. It was strange preparing for a seance, knowing that contact was likely, that it was real. As her heart raced, she reminded herself that while she had not been prepared before, she was now. Or so she hoped. She took another breath, hoping no one would see just how nervous she was. Harry and Amanda reached for her hands. Across the room, James stared at her intently. "'Miss Green, may I have a moment?' James said suddenly. He ushered her to one corner of the cave, The shadows enveloped them, hiding them from the rest of the group. She had not been this close to him since his mouth had been on hers. Beatrix, he said softly, and she unconsciously drew closer to him at the sound of her name. If you do not want to do this, if for any reason you feel unsafe, we can find another way. Beatrix wanted to deny her fear, but it would be a lie, and based on the way James was looking at her, He would know it. It was the loss of control she feared the most. She still tasted Lady Ashbury's words on her tongue, still felt the helpless disorientation of finding a knife in her hand, of having someone or something force her to carve a frightening message in the wood. James looked at her with unguarded concern, his blue eyes searching her own, and she found herself softening toward him. Despite his rejection earlier, he was clearly concerned for her. His hand was partially outstretched as though he wanted to reach for her. She squared her shoulders. If it helped James put his past behind him, if it got them out of this house, she needed to follow through. I assure you, I am up to the task, James, she said gently. He nodded and walked with her back to the circle where he took her hand. Amanda took the other and gave her a reassuring smile. James's pocket watch began to chime. Midnight. Muffled through fabric, the small, rhythmic sound created a dreamlike atmosphere. A cool sweat broke out on her brow. Breathe. She timed her breaths with each chime, feeling her body grow heavy. The room felt far away. She could barely feel the hands she was holding. A violent energy pulled at her. She tried to open her eyes to break its hold, but she could not. It was as if someone was sewing her eyelids shut. Beatrix jerked as she fought against the strange power, twisting and gasping. No, 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 I changed my mind. I don't wanna do this. But it was too late one final tug, and everything went black. Can't breathe. She can't breathe. Terror grips her gut as she spins in a circle, searching, searching. Must find him. Must save him. The words thrum through her mind as the room whirls around her. Long ropes of her black hair whip around her. Her white nightdress glows in the darkened hall of the children's nursery. Breathe. 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 "'Thomas, don't run from me!' A racking sob overtakes her. "'I would never hurt you. We must end this. We need to get free!' She clenches a hunting knife with a glimmering wood and shell handle and sashes upward. "'Keep away!' she yells into the empty air. "'You can't have my boys!' The darkness seems to swallow her words. That same voracious malevolence permeating everything.' pulsating around her. A presence, a shadow, heavy with malice. She must save her children from it. She swings the knife around wildly, accidentally slicing her own forearm. Blood drips from the tip, but she grips the knife harder. She must protect them. It's too close, too close. A small, darting shadow flashes by. Thomas! She sprints after him. Half sobbing, half gasping. Following the movement into a dark room, she pauses, straining to see. A window creaks open. She whirls around, her eyes adjusting. Everything inside her reaches out to the terrified little boy crouching on the sill. How many times had she warned him never to play near the upper story windows? Her child looks at her with wide, terrified eyes. Come, Tommy. Come inside. I don't want you to fall, she says, and she is glad her voice sounds calm, reassuring, the one he always responds to. He must come inside. She will keep him safe. She must. Thomas is crying, trembling. No, mummy. No, no. He cries as she moves ever so slowly to him. Reach for my hand, she says. She must pull him to safety. To her horror, she realizes she's extended the hand holding the knife. Her own blood darkens the tip. Little Thomas's eyes grow wide at the sight. He teeters, scrabbles for the sides of the window. No! She rushes to grab him, but he loses his grip. And he is gone. Silence. Ah! An inhuman wail of grief and rage rips from her chest. She screams until her throat bleeds, and then she turns and staggers out of the room to the hallway. Her face twists as she thunders. Did you hear me? You can't have them. But it is too late, too late. James, I must save James, she wails. Her own arm lifts, even as she uses every ounce of strength to push against it. The malevolence pushes the knife closer to her own throat. No! She must protect James. She pushes back, her arm trembling with the effort. The blade glints in the waxy light of the candles as it nears her throat. With growing horror, she realizes what will happen. No! but its power is too strong. With one savage, spastic movement, the knife cuts violently through her throat. She falls to the floor. Beatrix gasped, clutching her throat where the knife had slashed her windpipe. No, not her windpipe. No, no, can't breathe, can't breathe. It's all right, James whispered into her ear. You are all right. You are safe now. Beatrix realized that she was on the ground, propped up against James's firm chest as if he had caught her mid-fall. Her eyes darted frantically around the cave. Harry, Amanda, and Stanhope stood over her, their faces pale with shock. James's chest rumbled and she realized he was making soothing sounds, trying to calm her. His hand clasped hers and he squeezed it reassuringly. Shh, he whispered. You are safe now. I have you. Finally, finally, air entered her lungs. She shuddered. She was not in the hallway upstairs, torn apart by grief. She was Beatrix Green. She was here. She was safe. But she had been James's mother. Felt her overwhelming pain. Her whole body ached as if she had really been running through the halls of the manor, trying to save her sons. The knowledge settled in her gut. James's mother had never killed Thomas, or tried to kill James. She had been trying to protect them from that strange presence that was both in and of the house. The presence that forced her to cut her own throat... Nothing made sense. Just breathe, James said soothingly, his chest warm against her back. She opened her mouth to explain, to tell him what she'd seen, no, experienced. But no sound emerged. She needs something to drink, Amanda said, kneeling down next to her and James. Stanhope remained frozen, but Harry jumped forward, reaching into his pocket. He pulled out a shining silver flask and shook it by his ear to make sure there was still liquid in it. The gesture was so, so typically has. Beatrix felt absurdly like laughing. She began to weep instead.
3: James tightened his arms around Beatrix to and be damned. What had happened? One moment, they were all holding hands, and the next she was clutching at her throat and gasping for air. James had barely caught her in time when she collapsed. And now she was weeping as if her heart had been broken in two. The sight of it twisted his insides. He never wanted to see her in pain like this. Beatrix took a few shaky sips from the flask and sat up, pulling away from him. Beatrix, he said. What did you see? Has my mother been freed? What happened? He hadn't meant for all those questions to come tumbling out at once. He took a breath, trying to gather control, to slow his heart. He fought the impulse to bring her back into his arms and comfort her. I would react like this to anyone in distress, he told himself. Beatrix blinked at him and looked around, as if trying to come to grips with something. She wanted me to understand what happened that night. Beatrix made to stand, and Amanda and James hastily helped her to her feet. She shook her head, as though clearing it, and straightened her shoulders, looking squarely up at him. I need to tell you... But is she gone? interrupted Stanhope. Beatrix kept a gaze on James. She swallowed. Yes, I believe your mother has gone. Her ghost is free. James had hoped he would feel a sense of finality, of peace upon hearing his mother was free. But he wasn't sure what he felt. He swallowed hard. He would never forgive his mother for what she had done to Thomas and threatened to do to him. But she had once been a sweet and devoted mother, and he had loved her deeply. James, Beatrix, was standing very close to him. She is at peace now, she said quietly. But I must tell you... We need to get out of this awful place, Harry interrupted loudly, his eyes heavy with concern as he took in Beatrix's shaken form. You did it, B. Now let us celebrate your success upstairs, preferably with wine. Mrs. Reynolds took his arm. I'm sure we could all do with something restorative. With one last look at Beatrix, Harry escorted Mrs. Reynolds out of the room, Stanhope traipsing behind them. Suddenly, James realized that he and Beatrix were alone in that horrible place and that he wanted to be far away from it. Immediately, he ushered her up and out. To the success of our brilliant Miss Beatrix Grey. Harry called and everyone held up a glass. I always knew you had it in you. I, I did not do anything. Beatrix said. She looked quickly to James with an expression he couldn't decipher. Well, whatever you did, something changed, Mrs. Reynolds said after downing a second glass. I shall prove it to you. She marched to the window and with a great flourish threw it open. She grinned as a breeze billowed the curtains. Then she opened and closed the parlour door and pointed to the front door. James noticed Harry gazing at Mrs. Reynolds with undisguised want. The young man was besotted. Good luck with that, James thought. He had met her husband, Michael Reynolds, and they seemed quite attached. They might each play at flirtations, but they were an unshakable pair together. Say, where is Stanhope? Harry said, as though realising he had been staring. James looked around, no sign of him. It was odd. Stanhope had seemed eager to join the party. He had half expected him to take all the credit, to brag that the success was all his doing because he had brought them to the place of power. All of a sudden, I'm quite tired, Mrs. Reynolds said, shaking James from his thoughts. Oh, but the night is still young, Harry said. Come, you can rest your head on my shoulder and tell me more about your wild country. Amanda sighed. You know we have cities, yes? Ever hear of New York? They continued chatting as they curled up on the settee in front of the fire. Beatrix stood and looked at James. James, there... There are some things I need to tell you, she said. May I impose on you to walk me to my room? Yes, of course, James said much too quickly. Heat rose up his neck as his heart thrummed in his ears. Despite himself he couldn't hold her gaze, his drifted to her mouth. After you, he murmured at the door, holding the candelabra to light the shadowed hall. As he led her to the grand stairway, he was once again exquisitely aware of her closeness, of her warmth, of the scent of her hair. When she began turning into the wrong hallway, he quickly put a hand to her waist and firmly guided her in the correct direction. Beatrix Green had done what he asked. She had freed the tortured spirit of his mother that had haunted him his entire life. He should be overflowing with relief and joy. Why then did he feel so inexplicably uneasy? His thoughts skittered like spiders. His father's ring, the bones in the wall, the pit. Beatrix clutching at her throat, Beatrix collapsing. James followed as Beatrix carefully moved up the stairs. When she paused at the top of the landing, James glanced behind him, his neck prickling. The strange, heavy darkness he'd hoped would have disappeared with his mother's spirit continued to shadow him, stalking him like a beast panting in the dark. Perhaps he would never be free of it. Perhaps it had become part of who he was. What is it? Beatrix asked. Nothing, he said, turning and forcing himself to smile up at her. Nothing at all.
2: You're listening to Beatrix Green. Narrated by Shiromi Arsario and Alistair Austin. Produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Realm. Listen away. Beatrix Green is written by Rachel Hawkins, Ash Parsons, and Vicki Alviar-Schechter. It is produced by Haley Wagreich and executive produced by Molly Barton. Audio production, sound design, editing, and theme music by Amanda Rose Smith, with additional editing by Kaylin West.